everyone. It is apparently the first day of February today, so that's a fun fact about the passage of time, which is a fact I'm only really aware of because it's the one day of the month where you can walk downstairs for breakfast and your family thinks it's acceptable to walk up and pinch and punch you. And that, of course, means that it is only a couple of days until the first draft of my Loki dissertation is due in, so it's really just all-round suffering at the moment. But I'm actually really super excited to do this episode, so I made a bit of time just for you guys. So, welcome to the Loki podcast, a podcast in which I talk about Loki. I'm Annie, your host, and today I'm talking about Thor The Dark World. So this is the third episode I've done on the MCU so far. And I've actually been really looking forward to making this episode because whatever other people might say about this movie, I think it is a really good movie in terms of Loki. And, you know, that is exactly what we're here to talk about. But before getting into that, I have some other things to say. So, first of all, news. I feel like I should have, like, a name for these segments or something that feels like the proper podcast thing to do. I guess I'm just not very good at this, but... Anyway, on the Marvel front, there's still been no updates on the Loki TV show since the trailer came out about a month ago at this point, and we're still about a month away from getting any new Loki comic book content. However, if you're into Norse mythology and like reading fiction based on Norse mythology, there's a new book coming out that you might be interested in. First of all, this was brought to my attention over email, so thank you to Caitlin for that. So the book is The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornacek. And it's a creative retelling of Norse mythology from the perspective of Angerbotha. And she's Loki's giantess lover or wife, certainly the mother of three of his monstrous children. And as you can probably tell from that description, we don't actually know all that much about her. The sources don't say that much. Which is why I'm very excited for this book, because I love the idea of Angerbotha, but we just don't get much content about her from Norse mythology. I also just like reading creative retellings in general. And I really like the direction this retelling in particular seems to be going. In particular, I really like that it seems like it's going to be focusing on genuine love between Angerbotha and Loki, which is definitely an angle I haven't seen explored much before in other retellings. I also really like the idea of identifying Angerbotha with the burnt witch we hear about in Voluspel. Basically, I can't wait to read this book, I pre-ordered it today, and I really hope I get to talk about it on the podcast again at some point. At this point, I don't really have a very clearly defined direction with this podcast, so maybe I'll get around to it in the near future, but who knows. And that's all the news I have for you this week. And now, onto your lovely letters. And I'm not gonna lie to you, some of you decided to get real weird with it this week. For a start, someone decided to send me a picture of their penis, which, please don't do that. The next time someone does that, I will be naming and shaming. Someone else just sent me an email with the subject, I like your podcast, and then the content of the email was, haha, I lied, which, to be fair, is actually just quite funny. And someone else just said that I have the exact same voice as Sophie Turner, which, personally, I don't hear it. I guess we're both just generically Southern British? I don't know. A couple of other people actually emailed me to say they listened to Thor Metal Gods, which I'm going to take as an opportunity to yet again tell you to listen to Thor Metal Gods. For those of you who didn't hear me rant about it last week, it's an audiobook type thing. You can either read or listen to it. I would recommend listening to it. It is really good that way. You can get it on Serial Box, which is basically an app where they publish a bunch of stories in the same format. And the reason I really recommend Thor Metal Gods is because 
It has a great dynamic between Thor and Loki. The story is great. It does really interesting things with sound, which is kind of why I recommend you listen to it. And it also has one of my favorite characters of all time, Zia, who is basically a gender fluid space pirate. It has a lot going for it. So if you're interested in really good Loki content, which I kind of assume you are, go and listen to Thor Metal Gods. And I have another question from Tumblr, which I have no idea how long this has been sitting in my ask box. I kind of just forgot about the existence of the Tumblr. I'm really not good at this communication thing, but we're getting there. But anyway, this is a question from Holy Statesman Creator Salad, who asks, is there a piece of media outside of mythology and Marvel that features Loki in it that you are particularly excited to talk about? I also ask as a noob because I am not very familiar with the characters outside of those two iterations. So to answer this, there's a lot of books I'm really excited to talk about but the one thing i'm actually really excited to make an episode on is the bifrost incident by the mechanisms which is actually an album and admittedly i haven't actually listened to it yet but i know it's out there i know it has some good loki content i'm not entirely sure how i'm going to talk about it yet part of the reason i haven't listened to it yet is because i kind of want to react to it in the context of the podcast so that will be coming up at some point but i'm not sure when yet so yeah thank you for all of your messages this week for better or for worse if you do for whatever reason want to get in contact with me you can message me at loki podcast on twitter tumblr or instagram and also email me at thelokipodcast at gmail.com so here's the thing with all the dark world i really like this movie it's one of my favorite marvel movies it's possibly one of my favorite movies ever but also a lot of people seem to think of it as one of the worst movies in the mcu So before this episode, I did a bit of research into why people say that, and to be fair, I hadn't seen this movie in quite a while before watching it specifically to take notes for this episode, and I do kind of see where some of the criticism is coming from. I mean, for a start, I had just completely forgotten about the existence of Malekith, which I think is in part because he is just a little bit forgettable, especially in comparison to his comic book counterpart, who is one of the campest bitches in the comics. I think with this movie, they were going for a much more serious and solemn tone, and so they made their villain a lot more solemn and serious. I also think maybe they just didn't want another villain that was too much like Loki. And look, aside from any concerns about queer coding villains and all that, I think camp villains are great, and being afraid to have more than one in one superhero franchise is what the therapist I don't have would probably call a self-limiting belief. And it's really disappointing because I feel like Christopher Eccleston could do camp really well. Admittedly, I haven't seen Doctor Who or anything else he's been in, I don't think. I guess he just has the vibe. So yeah, I agree, Malekith is not a very strong villain. Also, I do feel like the comedy often comes in really weird places that make the tone and the pacing feel just a little bit off. And also, this movie really does not treat its women very well. There's some kind of half-baked love triangle going on between Thor, Sif, and Jane, which is annoying in the first place and also doesn't come to anything. Jane herself is not treated particularly well. This whole storyline of meeting a man in one weekend and then moping over him for the next two years, it doesn't quite sit right with me. Admittedly though, I probably would be kind of depressed if I had to go from dating a literal Norse god to uh, some British man. I don't even remember who this guy is. Apparently he was in the office or something, but I've never seen it, so who knows. I guess the real moral of the story here is I haven't really watched any British TV, apparently. 
But I'm going to stop ranting at you as to why I think this film is bad. I do actually really like this film. And I mean, I was obsessed when this film came out. I went to the midnight premiere, and then I went to see it again less than 24 hours later. And both times I went in full low-key cosplay, which was a really bold choice. Because I was like 15, and I looked like someone had just slapped some fake leather and some horns on a toddler. But we're not here to ruminate on whatever the hell it was I was doing when I was a teenager. I think the reason I really like this film is because my basic thesis for all Marvel content is it's about the Asgardians. And by that I mean the things that really interest me in Marvel are the things that are based on Norse mythology. And I think Thor The Dark World gives a really good insight both into the Asgardians themselves, but also Asgard as a place. We get to see a lot more of what actually goes on in Asgard. We see feasting halls, we see training grounds. And it's not just the bright, shiny backdrop of the palace that we see in the first Thor movie. It feels much more lived in. It's all stone and sand. And in general, it just broadens our understanding of Asgard as a place. Also, Thor The Dark World does really well at picking up characterization from the first movie and then growing and developing on that. Thor obviously has grown as a character, but we also get to see more characterization from characters like Odin, who in the first movie is shown to be wise, but also often angry and rash. And those flaws in his personality are definitely brought out in this film, specifically by the death of Frigga. We also just get more background for relatively minor characters such as the Warriors 3. Fandral is not only a womanizing sleazebag, but also a valued advisor to Odin. Hogan is actually originally from Vanaheim, and he still feels a strong connection to his homeworld. And we get to see Volstagg playing and telling stories to children, which I think is one of the really charming parts of his character in the comics. And although I don't think Frigga is treated particularly well in this movie, we do get some more interesting character development for her. We see her fighting, which is very cool. We also get to see her talking with her sons, which gives this sense of tough love from her, I think. Of course, the bar wasn't set particularly high by the first movie, since I don't think she was even mentioned by name. And of course, she was fridged so that all of the men in her life could feel pain. But at the very least, she does feel more present here. And speaking of, let's finally get on to the star of this show, Loki. And I think there is so much interesting going on with his character here. But first of all, I think it's important to keep in mind that Loki's character arc in this movie was radically changed in post-production. Which means some of these scenes were acted out with a certain thing in mind, but in actuality, the story goes a different way. And I am going to be analysing this movie for what it is, but I do think that that detail kind of affects how we read the movie and the motivations of the characters. Especially when we're thinking about Loki and thinking about whether this is a satisfying redemption arc for him. To start off, at the beginning of this movie, Loki is utterly unrepentant. No matter how much control you think Loki had over his actions in the Avengers, here he is clearly saying that he doesn't think killing that many people is a big deal. He literally walks into his trial and says, I don't see what all the fuss is about. And it's really interesting that his main argument for this is comparing himself to Odin. He says that he took a mere handful of lives compared to what Odin has done. And he also tells Odin that he was going to Earth to rule them as a benevolent god, just like he had. As a side note, in the comic book tie-in, Loki even says to Odin that he might have stolen a mortal child and raised it as his own, which really hammers the point home. No pun intended. And, you know, to some extent, Loki isn't wrong. Odin definitely has done terrible things, 
The theme of Asgard's colonialism is definitely brought out a lot more in Thor Ragnarok. But even in this movie, Odin, apparently without shame, reports that his father dealt with the problem of the Dark Elves by killing them all. In general, Odin really isn't a likeable character here. At one point, he's even willing to sacrifice potentially endless Asgardian lives instead of just listening to Thor. And at Loki's trial, the communication between them on both of their ends is just hilariously terrible. He refers to Loki as the prisoner, which makes it seem like he's going to try and make this something other than just petty family drama. But then five seconds later, he's screaming at Loki, telling him that his birthright was to die. And maybe he's not technically incorrect, but I don't think saying so improves the situation at all. He also pulls the whole, well, I brought you into this world, you should be grateful card, which, you know, bad. So yes, Odin is not a great person, he's not a great dad, but that just means that Odin is also bad and Loki can't really excuse himself by saying that his dad does the same thing. In fact, the fact that he is comparing himself so closely to Odin kind of almost makes it seem like all of Loki's actions were just lashing out against his father. And I don't say that as an excuse for Loki, I think it's also a pretty terrible motivation. I just think, you guys, I don't think this is a very healthy family dynamic. And so, saying that the issue runs deeper than just Loki does not say that Loki does not have issues. And so our starting point for Loki in this film is that he very much doesn't seem to think he's done anything wrong. In fact, he still seems to have some of that sort of hero complex left over from the first film. At the end of his trial, he says, You'll make that witless oath king while I rot in chains. He sees himself as protecting Asgard from Thor's idiotic rule. And while he might have had a point in the first film, Thor has more or less proved himself at this point, at least as much as Loki has proved himself inappropriate for the throne. So what's the turning point, if there is one? At what point does Loki's outlook and behaviour change? I think the obvious answer, at least the answer we're meant to take from the film, is Frigga's death. And leaving aside what else we might think about a dead mother as a plot point, this is where Loki goes from feeling anger at Odin to feeling grief for Frigga, especially since he seemingly feels personally guilty for it. While it isn't exactly clear what Loki means by you might want to take the stairs to the left, it does seem to imply that Loki was the one who sent Curse Frigga's way. And obviously, Curse does a whole bunch of other stuff on the way, but it is a nice little bit of angst, and certainly adds something to the story. Certainly, Loki is very torn up about it, as you'd probably expect. We know he was very close to Frigga, and he's basically gone completely feral in his cell. He's bleeding from his foot, his hair's messed up, his eyes are sunken. It kind of makes you wonder how long has it actually been since he was given the news. He also just exudes unstable vibes in his conversation with Thor. He almost seems to reach out to Thor for comfort at the beginning of their conversation, and when he gets rejected on that front, he mocks Thor for being desperate. And when Thor says he's lost all hope for Loki and threatens to kill him, Loki just smiles. It's also interesting that what Thor offers to Loki is vengeance, whereas that doesn't seem to be Thor's motivation. He's more concerned with saving Asgardian lives, as well as Jane's. And maybe Loki sniffs out Thor's deception, maybe he doesn't. Either way, the brothers kind of have a shared objective at this point. And I honestly think that's the more interesting development in Loki's character in this film. And although it relies on Frigga's death, it doesn't leave quite the same bad taste in the mouth. 
At this point, you can imagine that their feelings for each other have probably just been festering for the last year. It seems unlikely that they had much communication after Loki was caught after the Battle of New York, and Loki specifically states that Thor has not been to visit him. And so we kind of get to see them getting to know each other again. When they first escape the dungeon, Loki just seems really playful with his magic and his shape-shifting. And straight after that, they're thrown into a pretty intense situation, which doesn't really leave space for them to get into the nitty-gritty of their feelings, their grievances for each other, and their grief for Frigga. And they fall into a pretty natural pattern of kind of harmless brotherly banter. It's almost touching to see, and it kind of reminds me of that one deleted scene from the first movie, set before the coronation, in which both Thor and Loki kind of get to express some genuine love for each other. Of course there's teasing, but given that their recent interactions have largely involved trying to kill each other, this is very evidently something different. Essentially, when put under pressure, and not given any time to really think about how they feel about each other, they fall into a very familiar pattern. And so, by the time they get to the long and largely uneventful ride through Svarselfheim, they've already had a chance to kind of get a feel for each other again, and almost soften to each other. Loki had clearly been nurturing this idea of Thor in his head as an uncaring brother who had essentially discarded him. And Thor was thinking of Loki as an empty shell of his brother. But they've both kind of been proved wrong on their assumptions. I'm not saying they're all good, all friends again now. There's clearly a lot of bumps in the road, but they do kind of go back and forth between fighting and being friendly with one another. Once they're out of the woods, out of Asgard, they're at each other's throats pretty quickly, with Loki jabbing at Jane's mortality, and then bickering about whose fault exactly it was that Frigga is dead. But Thor refrains from actually hitting Loki, possibly in part because it would not be a good look to hit your brother while he's in chains but also because he remembers Frigga and, by extension, the kind of familial love that there is between Thor and Loki. And the situation kind of diffuses itself. Thor says that he doesn't think Frigga would want them to fight, and Loki says, well, she wouldn't exactly be shocked. And it's this kind of familiarity, this relearning of each other, that I think is much more crucial to Loki's character. Thor even expresses that desire for familiarity and closeness himself. He says, I wish I could trust you. Which is clearly quite the development from the indifference he shows towards Loki while they're talking in the dungeon. And Loki doesn't even reject Thor, or even mock him for the sentiment like he does in the dungeon. Instead, he essentially offers what he can. And I know the whole trust my rage line is one of the fandom favourites, and has, in general, been analysed to death. And of course, we could get into exactly how angsty this is, but for once in my life, that's not the course of action I'm taking here. Instead, I think it's important because Loki is essentially accepting what Thor says. He's acknowledging that he feels more or less the same way. Instead of getting angry or throwing more accusations Thor's way, which would be more in line with his behaviour earlier in the film, he invokes the last connection they have left, really, which is their grief for their mother. And obviously, this is all still very much tied to Frigga's death. I just don't think it's Frigga's death itself that brings about any kind of change in Loki's character. It's the fact that it forces the two brothers together and to coexist and to work together. It's the opportunity for reconciliation with Thor that it offers. And if you think about it, this is the first time Loki has really had an opportunity to interact with any of his family since the revelation of his frost giant heritage in the first movie, which clearly really warped his idea of how his family felt about him. Of course, all of this is very much theoretical until you get to this 
face-off with Malekith, in which you can see a very definite shift in their relationship and how they're working with each other. But first of all, that twist. I mean, when I watched this in the cinema, I literally was clutching my chest. I was so shocked. Just seeing Loki receive some scrap of trust from Thor, and then to stab him, throw him down a hill, cut his hand off, and then declare himself Loki of Jotunheim, I honestly lost my shit. And listen, you know I'm a big fan of Loki as a villain. I love seeing him doing awful things. Even I was just a little bit disappointed in him. I was so sad to see that all of that brotherly love that they'd been fostering was just thrown away. And so I think overall, I am really glad that that was just a plot twist. I do like to think about what this movie would have looked like if Loki did go full dark side and actually betray Thor and become one of the big bads of this movie. But as is, I think it says a lot that Thor trusts Loki enough to fake betray him. He also trusts Loki enough to protect Jane with his own body, which is quite a big ask given all of the hostility Loki has shown towards Jane before. In general, during their encounter with Malekith in the Dark World, they just work really well together, they have each other's backs, and they even come to each other's rescue on multiple occasions. If they were given a little bit more time, they probably would have had a few more problems to work through. But at this point, I think it's enough to believe, at least, that reconciliation was possible. At least Thor has gone from thinking himself capable of killing Loki with no remorse, to feeling real, genuine, and extreme grief at seeing Loki die. I remember that that clip of Thor screaming made it into the trailer, and the general fandom consensus was that this could not be in response to Loki's death, and that they would have to really go through some real growth in order for Thor to reach the point where he would feel that sad about Loki dying. And it is just kind of funny to me that that is exactly what happened. But how sad exactly is this death, given that we know, in retrospect, that Loki is not actually dying? For a start, this scene was actually just played straight. Tom Hiddleston himself said that when they filmed this scene, they were under the impression that this was Loki's real death, and so that's what the actors are trying to convey. So the atmosphere is just genuinely very sad, especially when paired with the music, which I'm sure everyone will have noticed is the same music that is playing at Frigga's funeral. And so, at least at first glance, Loki's death does hit like a real death. And I don't think the later revelation that Loki actually didn't die can entirely take away that initial reaction. How exactly does this work plot-wise? I'm honestly not entirely sure. But who cares about plot coherency when you can just have extreme angst? That isn't my actual opinion on the matter, please don't quote me on that. I think in order to make it make sense, we have to assume that Loki actually didn't know that he was going to survive. In that interpretation, Loki is just acting opportunistically, which I think is quite in character for him. We see it in the first Thor movie, and we definitely see it in Ragnarok. This would mean that Loki's own reaction is as genuine as Thor's is, along with his final words and his apology. And so if we can read Loki's apology as genuine, that kind of leaves his redemption arc intact if he's showing genuine remorse for what he's done. On the other hand, if you're not that invested in Loki's character, you're unlikely to read all of that into this. It's definitely an interpretation rather than a straight-up reading of the film, but I wouldn't exactly call it a reach either. There's also just the question of how much remorse can Loki actually feel if the first thing he does after realising he didn't die is to go back to Asgard, dispose of their father, and take the throne for himself. And I think Loki can feel and show some remorse, genuinely, 
without becoming a 100% rehabilitated villain-turned-hero. If I'm completely honest, I don't particularly want to see Loki go through an entire redemption arc, at least not in the traditional sense. I think I would be much less interested in Loki if he ever just became 100% the good guy. And so I'm really glad that Marvel didn't go through with their initial plot of having Loki heroically sacrifice himself, not just because that would have meant the end of Loki in the MCU, but because it would have been such an unsatisfying end for Loki's character. And so I'm glad the fandom is intense enough to make Loki Marvel's pretty little cash cow, because I think Loki returning does genuinely improve the plot, not just in terms of Loki, but in terms of the film as a whole. In fact, if Loki hadn't returned at the end, I don't think it would have been a very satisfying ending, at least not the ending as we saw it. And so I am going to talk just a little bit about the end, specifically Odin's final speech to Thor, which of course we now know is spoken by Loki. And so while this dialogue was presumably written actually for Odin, it now reads as some kind of reflection on Loki's part. For a start, Loki must have been pretty sure that Thor wasn't going to take the throne when he was offered it, otherwise this would have led to a very difficult situation for Loki. Beside anything else, this shows that Loki has a far better understanding of what Thor is like as a person now. Since at the beginning of the film, Loki thought Thor would take the throne and was threatened by that fact. It's also quite something that this is one of the most tender exchanges between Thor and his father. Even though he tells Thor he can't say it outright, he does very much imply that he's proud of Thor. If this was genuinely Odin saying that, this would probably represent some kind of regret on his part for the way he treated Thor earlier in the movie. Coming from Loki, its meaning is a little bit less clear. The obvious explanation here, of course, is that changing the plot in post-production was not a seamless process. But leaving that explanation aside because it's boring, it's possible that Loki is just trying to smooth over the relationship between Odin and Thor, so Thor is less likely to come back and cause problems for him. Either that, or Loki just wanted to express some genuine affection for his brother without blowing his cover. As a final word, I do think Loki has a redemption arc here. I just think it's more related to his relationship with his brother than with his mother. And also, redemption arcs don't have to be a direct pipeline from bad to good. As always, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any thoughts or feelings about it, you can get in contact with me at Loki Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, or on email at thelokipodcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave a review on Apple Podcast, you know, if you feel like it, if you have a moment. And I think that's everything. Once again, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.